Well, welcome to Saddleback Church. I wanna welcome all of our 18 campuses and those of you who are joining us online, our online family, we're so glad that you're with us this weekend. And also, we have 35 different extensions. It is so cool to live in a day and age where we can be one church with one mission and one heart and meet all over the world. Isn't that amazing? It's a good day to be a part of the church. Now we're jumping into the second week of this message series called Relating to Humans. And it's so interesting how every time we do a message series about relationships, man, it just meets such a felt need because all of us are dealing with relationships and most of us have certain relationships in our lives that just are not as they should be, not as we would want them to be. They're, they're more difficult, they're trickier. And, and so I think that all of us are dealing with this need for help in our relationships. And thankfully, the Bible teaches a lot about how we're supposed to relate to one another. And so that's why we're just gonna spend a few weeks here on this topic of how can we relate to other people in a way that's healthy and life-giving and honoring to God. So last week, Andy kicked us off this series and kind of his main point was that transformed people transform their relationships. Meaning that if you have been inwardly transformed by God, if God has changed your life, then you're gonna relate to people differently. And so all of us need to, to be changed by God so that we can then change the way that we're interacting with other people. Now this week, I have been given the very fun topic of relating to difficult humans. Anybody got some difficult people in your life? Maybe you are working with difficult people or you live with difficult people or maybe you just got some neighbors next door and they're just difficult. They're just difficult to interact with. All of us have difficult people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we get in these relationships with difficult people and they, it comes to like this difficult moment, doesn't it always just climax to a difficult moment? And then it it brings out the monster inside of you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you guys wanna hear a story about the time a monster came out of me? <laughs> I'm a little bit, I can't believe I'm gonna tell you this story because I've only, this is only my second time up on this stage and so you guys don't know me very well but you guys are gonna get to know me real quick, real fast. It's a pretty vulnerable story. Okay, a little background that you need to know about me. Now, before I tell this story, I have to tell you, I have Cademan's, my son's, full permission to share this story. And this story is much more about me being a monster than Cademan being a teenager, okay? So you gotta know that going in. And the other thing you need to know is I love the first day of school. I don't know what it is about the first day of school, but I just, I love the fact that all the kids have their hair combed and that they're wearing new shoes and their school supplies look like you know, they haven't been through the garbage disposal yet. And there's just like so much hope and promise on the first day of school. Like maybe this year, maybe this is gonna be the year that it's a good year. And so I love the first day of school. Well, this story takes place on the first day of school 
last year, 2021. And that if you remember, that was the first day back to school after the pandemic, at least here in California, that's how it was. And so never in the history of first days of school has there been a more anticipated first day of school than that first day of school. I mean, both for parents and for students, we were all ready to go back to school. And so that's when this story is happening. And I don't know if you have this same tradition in your home, but I take pictures of my kids on the first day of school. And so here is a picture of Karis on her first day of second grade last year. Isn't she just a doll? She's got her hair braided. She just looks so cute with her new little outfit on. And now here's Sammy, my handsome boy. He was going into seventh grade last year. But I have to tell you, not always as it should have been on Cademan's first day of school last year. Now, now you don't need to know all the details of what was going on, but in short, there was a bit of a debacle about his cell phone. And any parent of a teenager knows that a conversation about a cell phone can go through the roof in like 2.5 seconds flat. And that is what was happening on this morning. And so Andy comes through the kitchen and he's like, Oh, I don't know if I've got it in me this morning. I cannot deal with this. And I say, like, it's fine, babe. I got this. I can handle it. I am so cool. Like, sometimes I impress myself with how cool I am. Like, I, I have just, I've got it together. I am patient. I am self-controlled. I have got this. And so something has happened, though. Something, I don't know where we went off course. I don't know what happened exactly. Something was said, and it just pushed it over the line. And suddenly, I was not cool anymore. And so Cademan is um, Cademan's running late. And I, I hate being late. And I especially hate being late on the first day of school. And I could just feel that we were not going to get that first day of school picture. And so we are rapidly headed toward crisis mode. And now by this point, Andy has left the vicinity. He is like, you know what, I'm just going to go wait in the car. And I was like, fine, babe, whatever. Go listen to your worship music. There's a volcano erupting in your kitchen right now, but we're fine. It's fine. We've got this. And so he goes out to the car, and, and I am standing there trying to get Cademan to hurry along. And, and I'm starting to yell, and I can feel myself. And you know you're trying real hard not to yell, but it's coming out as a yell. And, and you're just like, oh, gosh. And I'm like, you can't talk to me that way. You can't, what are you going to, you're going to be late to your first day of high school. I can't believe this is going to be the one year that I don't have a picture of you on your first day of school. And when I said that, Cayman goes, oh, you want your stupid picture? I'll take your stupid picture. <laughs> and he goes and he grabs my phone right off the counter and he walks outside and he gets a selfie for his first day of school picture. This is what I have for Cayman's first day of school picture last year. <laughs> I was not laughing. <laughs> I have lost my mind by this point. I have turned into a complete lunatic. I am not even exaggerating. I pick up his backpack, I walk to the back door, and I throw it at the car. And then I go back inside and I pick up both of his shoes, which were not on his feet where they were supposed to have been. And I walk to the back door and one by one, I just overhand chuck them at the car. And I know by this point, my neighbors can hear me screaming. And I'm like, just go, get in the car, have a great first day of high school. 
And Andy is in that car. And he's just looking at me. And he's like, I have been there before, but I'm real glad it's not me right now losing my mind. And so they get in the car and they go and I'm just left standing in the garage and I'm sweating and my heart is beating and I just feel so gross. And I wonder, have you ever had a moment like that? Like maybe not quite so colorful <laughs> as my moment, but like we, we get into these moments and we're like, oh my gosh, how did I even get here? Like this is, this is not the me that I want to be. But we get into these difficult situations and, and we want to blame it on them, right? Like we want to say, if you would just cooperate, if you would just let me merge when you see my blinker on, if you would just do the thing that you said you were going to do, then I would not be forced to lose my ever-loving mind and act like a moron. You drove me to this. That's, what, that's how we feel, right? But we know, we know, we know deep in our hearts that my response is my responsibility. That's a phrase we say a lot at our house. My response is my responsibility. Your response is your responsibility. And I'm really sorry he just said that to you. And I'm really sorry he just did that to you. And I can deal with that in a minute, but right now your response is your responsibility. And I might not be able to control them but I sure better be able to control me. And so the thing that Andy was teaching us last week is that actually when we relate to people, that our, our standard is supposed to be that we are imitators of God. Like that is a high standard to be an imitator of God. But if you, if you look in the book of Ephesians, chapter five, verse one, it says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we're supposed to reflect the character of Christ. And Andy was teaching us that in order to be able to reflect something, we first have to receive it. And so if I want to reflect uh, Christ, then I have to be very intentional about receiving from him. So we have to adjust our inputs. Like if all I'm receiving is crazy, then I'm going to reflect back crazy. And if all I'm receiving is something toxic behavior, that's what I'm going to reflect back. And so if I want to be a reflection of Christ, then I have to be very intentional to be receiving from Christ because I can only reflect his love once I have received his love first. I can only reflect his forgiveness once I have first received his forgiveness. It's this process of receiving and reflecting and receiving and reflecting. And the thing that is, I have found to be true is that the more difficult this person is that I'm relating to, the more desperate I am to receive from God because I'm already receiving this toxic behavior from them. And so what I'm receiving from Jesus has to supersede all that I'm receiving from them. We have to be very, very intentional to receive from God if we are going to be a reflection of God. But I want you to think about this, that dealing with difficult people, they can actually help us in this process of reflecting back Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking because 
Dealing with difficult people does not bring the Jesus out of me. <laughs> it brings like the monsters out of me, probably you too. And I, I know that you feel so much more like Jesus when you're with people that are easy to be with. Like, I, like you're just so kind and you're so loving and you're so, so caring when you're with people who are kind and loving and caring, right? I, I like being around people like that. They make me feel good about me. But Jesus is saying, hey, there's a higher standard. And dealing with difficult people, what they're doing for us, they're, they're providing a service and they're taking all this junk that's in our heart and they're bringing it right up to the surface for us to have to deal with. And you know, it was there when you were relating to someone that was easy. We just can push it down more. We can ignore it. We can pretend like it's not actually there, but it is in there. And then sometimes when we get in those moments, it all bubbles up to the surface and we're like, man, where did that come from? Well, it came from within. And when we, when we interact with the difficult person and it comes up to the surface, it's like there is God's opportunity to deal with it. And so these difficult people in our lives, they actually are providing this great service for us. As I was preparing for this message, I did a bit of a deep dive on the process of refining silver. It's actually really a fascinating process of how you get silver from a raw form to a pure state. And, and so what I already knew a little bit about the process before I started studying, like I knew you had to heat it up a lot and that the silver, the pure silver would sink and the dross would come to the top and then a silversmith comes in and cleans it off. And I, I also knew that the Bible talks about this process a little bit and compares it to how God refines us. And so I looked up those verses and in Proverbs 17, three, it says the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And then if you look over in Psalm 66, it says, for you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. So basically the parallel that I knew that I wanted to make even before I started my deep dive was that when you submit silver or a, a metal to intense heat and pressure, then the impurities will rise. And when we get around difficult people, and when you submit a human to intense heat and pressure, those purity, impurities will also rise to the surface. So I, I knew that was the parallel I wanted to make. I had already heard that before. But what I, what I learned through all of my YouTube viewing and website reading is what a long and complicated process this is. So I have up here on stage some silver ore. So this is silver ore, and it just came from a mine, a silver mine in Colorado. And basically, it just looks like plain old rock. There doesn't seem to be anything special about it. There is some silver, some pure silver in this rock, not a ton of it. But if you knew what you were doing, you could get some pure silver out of it. Now, these rocks were not expensive, probably less than 10 bucks. But... If you had pure silver that was the same size and weight of these rocks, it would probably be closer to $2,500. So the more pure the silver, the more valuable it becomes. The, the process of getting to a pure state is super interesting. So the first step is that you have to crush the rock to a fine powder. And I was just thinking about all these parallels for our lives and how many times have you just felt absolutely crushed by a relationship in your life? It's like 
ground down, like almost like you lost yourself in the process of this painful relationship in your life. But I wonder if we could reframe it today and to think that, that maybe God could use that very painful crushing in your life as a step toward bringing something beautiful out of you. So after the, silver, after the silver ore has been crushed to a fine powder, you have to put it into a crucible and, and submit it to really intense heat, like upwards of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it has to stay there for a really long time. And eventually that rock, that powder is going to turn into a molten state and it'll like bubble up and, and kind of like lava. And what's going to happen is, is the purities will sink to the bottom and the impurities will come up to the top. And then you remove that substance from the fire and you have to let it cool off for a really long time. And the silversmith comes along eventually and he knocks off the top where all the impurities and the dross is. And then he's left with something. But it's not pure silver yet. He still has to submit it back into the fire again. And over and over again this process takes place. It's not like a one and done type of thing. You have to go back into the fire for more impurities to come out. And then you get out and, it's, and the silversmith does his thing. And then you go back into the fire. And I was like, oh my goodness, isn't this so representative of our lives? Like we can never escape difficult people. Like we just keep getting back in the fire. You can't outrun them. You can't outlast them. They will always be with you because we just have to keep going back in the fire. Purification is a process and we'll never complete it. You never get to the finish line. You never get to a place where you're like, okay, I'm done. Life's gonna be smooth sailing from now because there is always more that God wants to do in our hearts. Listen, he is bringing something beautiful and valuable out of you, but you gotta be willing to be submitted to the fire over and over again. Did you know that silver is actually one of the most reflective metals? If you, if you get silver to its pure state, it can reflect up to 90% of light. It's like a mirror, like I could see myself in this silver platter because it's so reflective. And the more pure the silver is, the more reflective the silver becomes. And isn't that true of our hearts? That the more pure your heart is, the more you will come to reflect the character of Christ. Guys, this is what it looks like to, to be an imitator of God. That we have to allow God to do this purification process in our hearts so that we can better reflect Him. So I remember one day, a rather difficult day of motherhood. My kids were probably, my boys were like three and five years old. And listen, mama, if you have kids three and five years old, girl, I see you, I know that stage. And, and there's, you love your kids so much. And that stage is actually such a fun stage because they're learning and they're growing so much, but it's also, it's just exhausting. It's a, there are long days and you get tired and it's hard. And I had had one of those long, hard days and Andy came home and, and I kind of knew a bit about this process of how God was using these difficult times to grow character inside of me. And so I said to Andy that day, I was like, man, in about 15 years from now, I'm going to be one of the most godly people on the planet. <laughs> but it's 10 years later and I'm still throwing shoes. <laughs> so um, like I said, purification's a process. I have not arrived. <laughs> The bad news is we're stuck with difficult people. 
they'll always be with us. But the good news is that interacting with these difficult people is bringing something valuable and beautiful out of our lives. But the question remains, how? Like how does God want us to interact and to, and to engage with and to relate to these, these difficult people, these argumentative people, these contrarian people, these annoying people, these people that just take so much emotional energy to engage with. How does God want us to interact with these people? Well, there's a passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that we're going to look at. And the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this passage. And he is writing literally from prison. So the guy has like shackles on his hand, on his wrist or ankles. He's literally shackled to a guard all the time, 24 hours a day. And he's writing this passage about how we're supposed to relate in a loving way with other people. So basically he's just reminding us like, you guys, I'm in prison here. I'm like varsity level. If I can do this, you can do this, okay? So you need to have that context as he's giving us these rather difficult instructions. In Ephesians 4, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I think it's easy to get caught up on that phrase, the calling that you've received, because a lot of people are like, I don't know, have I received a calling? I, I mean, I've never heard the voice of God. What, what's, what is that about a calling? But the, the point is that every, every person throughout history that would call themselves a follower of Jesus, you have a calling on your life. It's basically an invitation from the Holy Spirit to be a representative of Jesus here on this earth. That you carry his name with you into every environment that you go into. So you're going into a, a meeting at work and you carry the name of Jesus with you. Students, you're going into your class and you're carrying the name of Jesus into that class with you. Or maybe you're just at some type of social gathering with your friends or your family. And right there, you are Christ's representative on this earth. So basically, Paul is saying, live a life worthy of being Christ's representative here on this earth. And he gives us three things to do in this particular passage. And they're very, very simple, but they're so hard. So it's very simple, but not easy. So the first one, the first thing that he says is to be completely humble and gentle. And the way I captured that is don't take the bait. Be completely humble and gentle, don't take the bait. Now think about the people in your life. Like think about people that you know. I want you to think about maybe celebrities, professional athletes, politicians. And I, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I know anyone that I would describe as completely humble and gentle? Like that is not the kind of person that our society is producing these days. Like that's not, these are not qualities that you're going to learn as you're getting your MBA in school. Like the, if, if our modern day had a mantra, it's going to be something more akin to come at me, bro. You want to you go? Like, like there's a completely humble and gentle is not the vibe that we're getting from culture today, right? But that is, that is the way that God is inviting us in to live at a different standard. Because when people come at us, 
and they're, and they're aggressive and they're, and they're just harsh and they're rude and they, they have all these opinions. It's so easy to want to level up and to come back at like kind. And it actually kind of feels like if you don't, if, you, if someone comes at you and you don't come back bigger, that you're gonna get taken advantage of, that you're gonna get manipulated. But what Paul is saying is actually there's a different way to relate that's actually gonna, it's gonna be more powerful. It's gonna get you further and it's gonna honor God in the process. So why don't you try being completely humble and gentle for a change and see how that works out for you. There's a verse that I say to myself all the time in Proverbs 15 and it's that, that a gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up anger. And so I, I have good news for you. Like you don't have to win the argument. You don't have to prove to everyone that you are right. Like so many of us are more concerned about being right than we are about being in right relationship. And you guys, being in right relationship is always more important. I think about that verse a lot when I'm interacting with my kids and how there's so many harsh words that might be flying back and forth between siblings. And, and if I come in with harshness, then my harsh words are only gonna stir up more anger. They're only going to accentuate the problem. But I have the power to come in with a gentle answer and I can actually defuse a situation. This is true at work. This is true at the grocery store. One time Andy almost had to break up a fist fight between two grown men at Safeway because it was craziness. It was in the middle of COVID and everybody lost their mind. And, and it was like a gentle answer is what's needed in this moment. And, and when you come in with a gentle answer, there's actually a power in that that you're not expecting. It, it just sucks all that negative energy right out of the room. It calms the situation when we come in with gentleness and love. We can choose a better way. We don't have to take the hook we don't have to take the bait that's on that hook. You know, sometimes that bait looks so enticing when someone comes at you and it's like, ah, oh, I know the right thing to say right now. I just have a best comeback. And it's like so tempting to wanna to take the bait, but you can just swim on by. And we have to remind ourselves that there is a hook in that bait. And if we take it, it is going to cost us. There's a better way to relate. We don't have to take the bait. We can respond with humbleness and with gentleness. So the first thing that Paul says is to be completely humble and gentle. And the second thing he says is to be patient. How many of you like to be patient? All of our campuses, just raise your hand. If you really, you just enjoy practicing patience. I mean, you love the DMV. I got to sit in the DMV recently. I love those plastic chairs. They're wonderful. I just was like, God, thank you for this moment to practice patience. Nobody likes patience, you guys. I mean, patience means I'm not getting what I want right now and I gotta wait for it. And so, I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing to be patient, right? Now I, I captured this with the phrase, stay at the table. Stay at the table. Right now we have a ping pong table in one of our living rooms, um, mainly because we haven't bought furniture yet. You know, we, we moved recently and so we have a ping pong table and it's kind of fun, kind of fun actually. People come over, they play ping pong and I've noticed there's a few different kinds of people that play ping pong. One type of person likes to slam the ball 
Like every time, every chance they get, they just get so much joy about just slamming the ball right at their opponent. And their opponent's like chasing the ball like all over the house trying to find the ping pong ball. And then the other type of of ping pong player is the person that's on the receiving end of that slam. And, And they are not so happy. They get so frustrated and they're just like annoyed to the point that they're like, you know what, never mind, I don't wanna play. And they walk away. And in relationships, Man, the goal is to stay at the table, to stay at the table and to keep it in play. Like not to slam the, slam the ball. Some of us have that tendency, right, where we just want to go for it when we get into a conflict. And we're going to say all the things and we're just going to get it all out there. And we're going to mic drop that person. And whoa, you need to back down. But then there's that other kind of person in a conflict And you just get so frustrated and annoyed and bitter. And there's all this anger and unforgiveness in your heart. And you're like, you know what? It's not even worth it. I'm just walking away. And you need to come back. And the goal is that we would both stay at the table and that we would keep it in play. And we could say, you know what? I know we got something in between us right now. But could you just be patient with me? Because I am a work in progress. And purification is a process. And I need you to be patient with me. And I'm going to be patient with you. Because I know that you're in process as well. And so I'm not going to let this thing in between us stop us from being in fellowship with one another. Sometimes you get so deep into a, a dysfunctional relationship that it doesn't feel worth it anymore. But I just want to encourage you before you let go of a relationship. Would you give it some time to stay at the table and to be patient and to see if God might do something restorative there that you never could have seen coming and you would never experience if you did not have patience. This type of patience, the word for this type of patience in the original Greek language is makrothumia and it's a two-part word. And the first part means long and the second part means temper. So long temper, which would be the opposite of a short temper. Anybody know anything about a short temper? Yeah, we're talking about the opposite of that. So God is saying, I want you to be able to have long suffering in your relationships with other people. It's actually the same Greek word that Paul uses over in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And in that, in that verse, he's saying that love, joy, peace, patience, macrothumia, they are coming from the Holy Spirit's work in your life as you're yielding to him. And I think that that point is super significant for us today because when we cannot do this on our own. We cannot show this type of patience long-term on our own. Like this is a work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So yeah, we could do some behavior modification to try to be a more patient person, but you know what's, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but, but the thing that happens with behavior modification is you just run out of steam. Like you get to a point where you're like unmotivated and like you don't care that much anymore. It's like, you know what, it's not worth it. But when the Holy Spirit is doing the work inside of you, he is literally changing you from the inside out. Like he, what the Holy Spirit does is he changes your desires. He changes what you care about. He changes what you value. He changes how you think. 
And so when you invite the Holy Spirit in to produce this fruit inside of you, this kind of patience, it might take years to see a lot of growth in this area, but you can trust that as you are yielding to him, he is creating that inside of you. He's doing a beautiful work inside of you. So Paul says to us, the first thing is that we need to be completely humble and gentle. You don't have to take the bait. And then secondly, he says, be patient. Just stay there at the table. Don't walk away. Don't get frustrated and decide it's not worth it anymore. Don't try to slam it at your opponent anymore. Be patient with one another and stay right there at the table together. And then the third thing that Paul says in this passage is that we need to bear with one another in love. I I captured that by saying choose to love. And I, I think it's so ironic, this phrasing of bear with one another in love. Doesn't that feel like opposite things to you? Like if you bear with something, it probably means you don't enjoy it, right? Like you don't love it. Like I love to do this. I can't bear to do that. Like it, it just feels like opposite things. But I think it is genius that Paul put the two things together because Paul knew that there are going to be people in your life that you have to choose to love. Love doesn't come easy with this person. And, it, and we have to bear with one another in love. It's a different kind of love. It's not the kind of love when you're out with your friends and you're like, oh, I just love you guys. So much fun. And it's not the kind of love that you feel on your wedding day where you're just like, oh, it's so good and perfect and I'm so in love with you. It's a different kind of love. It's not based on convenience. It's based on commitment. It's like a higher form of love that God is inviting us into. Jesus said, if you love everybody that loves you, what reward are you going to get? Like everybody can do that. But there's a different kind of love that Jesus says it where we can love our enemies, where we can love people that are different than us, where we can love people that are hard to get along with. He was creating this new type of community when he came here. If you think about the cross that Jesus died on, it has two beams, right? There's this vertical beam and and it represents how Jesus through his death on the cross for our sins, he was restoring our relationship to our heavenly father, that he was creating a path of reconciliation where we could be made right with God. But there's a horizontal beam as well on that cross Symbolizing that there are some horizontal relationships in our life that are broken, that he is providing a path of reconciliation toward. It's the power of the cross that's available to us through what Jesus accomplished there. When Jesus was here on earth, he did everything that he could to blur the lines of what divides us. He was flipping upside down this this concept of who belongs and who does not belong. He was creating a different type of community. And so he created a band of brothers, these 12 disciples. And he was super intentional about who he invited in to be a part of those 12 disciples. And one guy's name was Simon. And Simon was a zealot, which means that he was a part of this political faction. He was a, a, a Jewish political party that, that were just out to overthrow the Roman oppression. And they were a passionate group of freedom fighters. And they believed that the end justified the means. And so if they needed to resort to violence, 
that was okay. If they needed to steal from someone, if they needed to assassinate someone, it was all fair game because the end justified the means. And many Jewish people would have seen the zealots as these courageous and bold freedom fighters. They were heroic in their eyes. And this is Simon. But Jesus invited another guy by the name of Matthew to be a part of that band of brothers. And, and Matthew was a Jewish guy that worked for the Roman government. Like in the worst possible way too, he was a tax collector. And so he was raising money for this government that was oppressing his own people. So many people would have seen Matthew as a complete traitor. Certainly Simon would have seen Matthew that way. And Jesus said, I want both of you at my table. I want you both here so that you can be a part of seeing that there is something bigger that can unite us than these political parties or these values that divide us. Like it, when we get to the end of time and all of our days run out, there are going to be two things that remain. And it's the kingdom of God and people's souls. And there is something that can unite us that is bigger than our personal preferences, than the way we see things, than the news channels that we watch. There is something more significant than that. And that's the kind of community that Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us to choose to love even the difficult people in your life, those people that you have to bear with, those people you can also love. It's a different kind of love. The early church lived in a way that was so completely different than the community around them. It was just so countercultural. And so you might have a wealthy, educated man who was at church worshiping beside a slave. You might see people of every different nation that would be gathered around the same table to share a meal with one another. That would have never happened in modern day culture back in those times. Jesus was creating a different type of community. There were people that, that society had marginalized and said, You're, you don't matter very much, like women and children and the poor. And they were brought in and they were assigned value and worth and significance. Jesus flipped the whole world upside down. It's, it's the miracle and the mystery of the church that we can be united as one people, with one heart, even when we are so vastly different than one another. This whole kind of teaching, these people, they lived in a way that was so different that, that the culture around them could not help but take notice. And it was the very thing that set them apart and it caused people to, to despise them. It's what, it's what caused them to be persecuted as, as the early church because they were living these ways and, and abiding by these principles that were so different than the culture around them. But do you know that it's also the thing that made them attractive? It's the thing that drew people in, that people on the outside would want to get in because they saw the way that they loved one another. That there was, a, there was a uniqueness to this type of compassion, this type of belonging. They did the hard work of love. They, they invited in. They stayed at the table. They, they didn't judge one another by, by menial things that other people would get hung up on. They included. And this type of community is the type of community that Jesus is asking us to be. 
that Jesus said that the whole world will know that you are my disciples. How? By the way that you love. By the way that you choose to love. There are going to be people at your office that nobody else can stand. And they're going to see that you're different because you go out of your way to love that person. There are going to be children that God blesses your family with that are hard to love. And you're not going to give up on them because you love differently. There are going to be people in your neighborhoods that are so rude and they're so hard to be with. But you're going to keep showing up for them and showing them love because we love differently. We choose to love. And so I, I know that today, as, we are, as we're thinking about these different ways that God is asking us to be a reflection of Jesus and to live a life worthy of the calling and to be one of those people that imitates God. Listen, I know how discouraging it can feel at times because I know what a far cry I am from that. And I, a lot of days I feel a lot more like a piece of dirty old silver ore than I do that polished silver. And it can be so disheartening because day after day, I, I, I want so much to my life, my life to reflect Jesus, but I just, I fall short. And I know that some of you are feeling that too. But listen, the good news, friend, is that you don't have to get it all together before you come to God. That he loves you right where you are in the midst of all your brokenness and your dysfunction and the, the pain in your relationships. He loves you. Like the real version of you. And you don't have to polish yourself up before you come to him. That that's not even your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit comes in and he does all the polishing. He does all the refining. That our job in the midst of this process is to yield ourselves to him and to open ourselves up to whatever it is that he wants to do in our lives. To acknowledge, I can't do this on my own. I've got so much brokenness and dysfunction inside of me. I could never get to the place of healing on my own. I need you. And that's true for all of us today, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey. That's true for the person who would have called themselves a Christian for the last 35 years. You need him to bring purity to your heart. It's true for the person that's walking in here for the first time today. You can't do this on your own. And if we can get to the point where we will humble ourselves before our loving Heavenly Father, then we give Him the space and the freedom that He needs to come in and change our lives. I want to invite you to stand with us today at all of our campuses. Would you stand right where you are? And I want to encourage you with this. I want to tell you that he is creating something beautiful out of you. That he's using all these trials and all this pain and the heat and the pressure to bring all those impurities up to the surface. Not to discourage you, not to make you realize you're such a horrible person and a failure and you'll never get to be this person that you dreamed you would be. He's bringing it up to the surface so that you can surrender it up to him and to allow him to love you right in the middle of it. I wonder if you would receive his love today for you right where you are, in your brokenness, in your dysfunction, with all the relationships in your life that are strung out. Would you just allow him to love you right now? Will you bow your heads with me?
Maybe even if you're comfortable, lift your palms up toward the ceiling, just right there, opening your hands before him to say, God, I want to receive from you right now. Would you minister to me in this moment? I want to make space in my life for you to do whatever it is that you want to do. I yield myself to you. I acknowledge I can't do this without you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and minister to each heart right where we are. Meet us there and do what only you can do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.